in this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth and live the faith and change our modern world today, live on The Voice of Charity. Welcome back to another week on the Catholic Toolbox. I'm your host and founder, George Manassa, and thank you for tuning in live on the Voice of Charity radio network. And especially as we enter this season of Lent, it's an amazing opportunity to begin, as I did last week, on the Voice of Charity radio network, uh, as I find solutions to live the Catholic faith in your daily life. And we all work together to find the tools that we need to actually implement the teaching of the church in our daily life. I hope everyone's having a good week so far as we discuss living your liturgy, the source and summit of our faith. It's very important that we understand and grow to love the holy sacrifice of the Mass as our foundation to live the Catholic faith in the world and to actually take the tools the Holy Mother Church gives us in the Mass to really live it in our daily life. And what something I was actually reflecting on last week was when I bumped into a family friend. And this was in late November last year. And uh, this family friend doesn't really go to Mass, but they know that I obviously am a religious person being on a, <laughs> on a Catholic radio. So, and they brought up the topic of church and how they disagree with the teaching of the church and that they, they believe they can actually do church at home. And they have pictures and rosaries and everything to aid them in their prayer life at home. So they just stay home on Sunday and they don't, um, they don't go to Mass at all. And obviously in that conversation, you could see how people and um, especially friends and family, don't really understand what the Mass is. I mean, I think that's, that's really the core problem we're going to be tackling today, that what is the Mass and how do we actually take the Mass in what it is and its richness, actually live it in your daily life. I think it's a very important thing that we need as Catholics as a serious way to evangelize our culture today. It's an absolutely vital thing that we have to do. So this friend said that obviously they set up uh, a nice prayer room at home and then they, they like to stay home on Sunday and pray and then I have to go see a priest or uh, any of that. So it's sort of their personal relationship with Jesus, which is excellent to have a relationship with Jesus. But in that conversation, she kept going on about uh, what's the need for a priest? Uh, what's the need for 
going in listening to when you have uh, listened to a homily when you have the resources online you can read your bible and do it yourself kind of a thing so that's where it struck me that i think ignorance about what the mass is is vital to understanding how to approach our culture i think we need as catholics to respond that's why this week is devoted to living your liturgy so let's begin with the teaching of the church from the Council of Trent, which was held after the Protestant Reformation. This was a, what was called a counter-revolution, a revolution that obviously responded to the rebellion of the Protestants who had very serious concerns about what was going on in church. There were both political and um, other uh, abuses that were going on, and the church felt that it needed to reform a lot of things to respond and continue the church that Jesus Christ established. So let's first open the toolbox from the teaching of the church, Holy Mother Church uh, teaches in the Council of Trent. I'll be reading from the very famous uh, tw- uh, session 22 of the Council of Trent. And session 22 on the Mass really gave us nine very famous canons. And their canons are obviously for those who are listening and don't really understand what a canon, I'm sure. If you've heard of canon law or canonical or canon of scripture, canon just simply means a law or a teaching. So obviously in this case, this is obviously not church law. This is the teaching of the church. So the actual doctrine that Christ reveals to us through his church. So, and I'll quote canon one. If anyone says that in the mass, a true and real sacrifice is not offered to God or that to be offered is nothing else than that, Christ is given to us to eat. Let them be anathema. Canon 2 continues to go. If anyone says that by those words, do this for commemoration of me, Christ did not not institute the apostles' priests or did not ordain that they and other priests should offer his own body and blood, let him be anathema. So, Holy Mother Church responded after the Protestant Revolution very seriously that the Mass is what Christ gave us to do in commemoration of Him. When Christ at the Last Supper joined with His apostles, He gave us His flesh, as John chapter 6 affirms. He gave us His body. He gave us His blood. And... If you look at the early church, and you might want to actually go through in detail what's called the early church fathers, the fathers, the early um, companions of the apostles, what was called the apostolic fathers, and then you look at the early first hundred to two hundred, couple hundred years of Christianity, what the church actually believed about uh, the Eucharist, that it's no mere symbol. It was actually the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And I don't want to go into too much detail about John chapter 6, I get too excited with John chapter 6. I mean, the richness of our Lord's words. So, and we understand very clearly in the Old Testament that God, if we if we go back now, I think once we've, we've had a glance at the teaching of the church, if we go back to the Old Testament, the Old Testament is very clear that God established a system of sacrifice. At the foot of Mount Sinai, God spoke to Moses and gave us laws about how to actually offer sacrifice to him in a specific way of worship. He set out a specific way to worship him. And now I'm thinking back to my friend, uh, 
uh, who doesn't go to mass. I mean, it starts to strike me now that if we're going to really worship God, it's not to say you're not worshiping God, but it's sort of I have to get out of my comfort zone. And I really do have to start to acknowledge if, if there is a set way that God did ask of me to worship him, then Georgia Manasseh has to get up early on Sunday morning and attend Mass. Georgia Manasseh has to start doing his prayer and answering to, towards what God asked. So I think in my life I've examined this very clearly that we have to understand what God asks of us. So God continues in the Old Testament to give us prophets. Uh, and as the temple in Jerusalem progressed and the laws of the Jewish people, um, slowly and organically developed in the Old Testament. And see, what's very interesting is that it's very organic. It's not something where God just dumps a whole bunch of laws on us. And here you go, here's a whole textbook. And you got to say, here's a whole constitution that we actually have to start uh, doing. And we just conform to it blindly. God is sort of a gentleman. God is the gentleman. He, he gradually gives us the law and what he's asking of us slowly and beautifully. So if we actually go and look at what the Catechism of the Catholic Church in paragraph 1324, and I quote this, the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. Let's pause right there. The source and the summer of Christian life. That's powerful. I continue. The other sacraments and indeed all ecclesiastical ministries and works of the apostle are bound up with the Eucharist and are oriented toward it. For in the blessed Eucharist is contained the whole spiritual good of the church, namely Christ himself, our Pasch. Close quote. So what we have to understand is that the Mass is, in very simple terms, the representation of the sacrifice of Christ. Can you imagine for a second if Jesus Christ at the foot of uh, Calvary, if we could actually go back to that historic moment, that powerful historic moment where you had a couple of apostles, Our Lady at the foot, some soldiers, and a whole bunch of people weeping and the Pharisees there. Can you imagine if we can just go back to the uh, back? No, not back to the future, back to the past and actually really be there? Well, my message to everybody is you can do that when you go to mass. Now, just like my friend, a very good family friend who chooses to stay home in their way and God bless them. God asks us very clearly that we keep his day holy. The Sabbath day is holy. It's something that was established in the Old Testament. And as I explained in the progressively through the Old Testament, God gives us um, the Levitical laws of how he wants to be worshipped through the sacrifices. And then leading up to his son, Jesus Christ, that is something very powerful that Christ fulfills the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And that now in the teaching of the church, the fullness of truth has come to light. That Christ is the sacrifice which takes away the sins of the world. And the way you can go back to Calvary those 2,000 years is by attending Mass. 
because the mass, and I think this is something which needs to be very clearly taught, um, especially in catechetical areas where we instruct Catholic faith, is that the mass is first and foremostly a sacrifice. So the liturgy, all the mass that we attend on Sunday, all as I like to and I try to every day, is the representation of Christ on the cross, literally, because it's his body and blood. And in that moment where the priest lifts up the host, we are there at Calvary 2,000 years ago in that literal and spiritual sense. And not only that, we are participating with the church in heaven, on earth, which is us, and we have the church in purgatory. In purgatory, you have those waiting to see the light of heaven. So the church is in three places. What we call the church militant on earth, because we are here militant, praying, trying to get to heaven. And as I reiterated last week, the whole point here on the Catholic tour is to work our salvation, is to work through the merits of Christ, is to obviously achieve heaven at the end of our lives. And that's what we work for. That's why we need to, we need practical tools to actually take the Mass and live it in our lives. And that's the whole um, concept behind the Catholic Toolbox. So getting back to what I was speaking about very specifically, the Mass is the heavenly worship that's happening 24-7. What are the saints doing in heaven? If we get to heaven at the end of our life, God willing, it will be the saints in heaven saying, holy, holy, holy. It will be the heavenly worship. And we on earth, by going to Mass, through the ministry of the priest, again, I go back to my family friend who said, look, well, we don't really need a priest, and um, yeah, we sort of do it at home. It is only through the ministry of the priesthood that Christ established in the 12 apostles that we can actually access that liturgy from heaven and participate in it. So we see... And I've got to get to this before our first break. Very clearly that the Mass is structured in the liturgy, of, in most rites of the church, in all the rites of the church, actually. The Mass consists of the liturgy of the Word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. So the liturgy of the Word represents very clearly the Old Testament. God gave us the law, the teaching. And then Christ became finally flesh and fulfilled those Levitical sacrifices in His one sacrifice. And that's where we finally... Um, get to the liturgy of the Eucharist, where the priest offers the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Historically, we go back to that 2,000-year period in that moment, and we participate with heaven, purgatory, and on earth. If we envision it uh, in that rich sense, and it is offered to God, and obviously the Father sees it as accepting, and then we're, that's the salvation of our souls. That's the work of Christ. That's what's called the operatio Dei, the work of God. The liturgy, the Mass, is the work of God. So remember, the teaching of the Church in its rich heritage is that the Mass is the representation of the sacrifice on Calvary and it is the source and summit of our faith. I'd want to go to Mass. Now, we're going to head through our first break. I'll see you after. to follow 
voices calling out your name, bringing joy other souls. But all is pointless when you're alone. Striding wounded and forsaken. Shattered by your guilt and shame Feeling lost, isolated Oh soul, my soul, I need a savior So come seek and rest Welcome back to the Catholic Toolbox. I'm your host and founder, George Manassa. And thank you for tuning in live here on the Voice of Charity Radio Network. We are discussing living your liturgy. So taking the Mass, we'll discuss firstly how to actually live your life using the Mass. But first, we have to understand, go back to really what is the Mass? The Mass is the representation of the sacrifice on Calvary. It is the worship of heaven, purgatory, and on earth. It is the unity between heaven, purgatory, and on earth in a spiritual way and somewhat in a literal way because we're going back to the 2,000-year-old um, sacrifice on Calvary that our Lord achieved for us victoriously. Now it is time to take out our tools from the toolbox, the three practical ways that we can live our liturgy in the world, in the world out there in our modern world where we need to respond very, very carefully. I mean, we live in a very unique time where uh, intellectualism is on its rise and people want good answers as to why we believe and how we can actually believe. We live in an era where people, people are hungering for the truth. And that is why I'm going to begin with my first tool. The first tool to actually live the liturgy in your personal life would be, number one, reflect on the Mass before and after Mass. By reflection, I mean intellectually ponder what the Mass really is, what we're about to experience in that spiritual way. And also prayerfully, because it's through our intellect and our will, which makes up our soul. Our soul is made up of both the intellect and the will. It is through those two ways that we can actually reflect on what the Mass actually is. So, taking from today's teaching, and I encourage everybody to get hold of uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI's famous book on liturgy, The Spirit of the Liturgy, uh, when he was then Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger. He, 
he really delved into the whole spirit of what the Mass is in all the dimensions. Uh, and I think it's an absolute rich, very rich resource that we can access. I think uh, you can absolutely try and get it online on Kindle or uh, you can access it over, yeah, from your local bookshop, uh, Catholic bookstore. We can access amazing resources and delve into the teaching of the church through the catechism. The catechism has that rich, that richness, rich simplicity of teaching. So to reflect on the Mass before, ma before Mass is vital because we're about to comprehend what's about to happen, which is we're about to participate in what's going on in heaven, where we're sort of sticking our nose what's happening in heaven. Okay, this is what we can achieve at the end of our lives for eternity. God wills that we all achieve our salvation. And it is through the merits of Christ that he won on the cross and it is represented in an unbloody manner on Calvary uh, through the Mass. So the Mass is not a sense where you're historically in a literal way, but it's literally Christ physically and spiritually at that moment, but not in that you don't see Jesus in the form that he was historically 2,000 years ago. Uh, it's in that unbloody manner. So the church is very clear in its teaching about the fact that it's in unbloody manner. So Christ is the priest of the order of Melchizedek. Just like in the Old Testament, because Melchizedek offered bread as his sacrifice, and Christ became that priest, prophet, and king that offered that sacrifice through the bread. So through the appearance of bread and wine, we have the Eucharist. So before Mass is vital, because it's sort of it's sort of like our pre-workout. A pre-workout, you want to warm yourself up to really anticipate um, uh, all, all the spiritual... Um, the spiritual strength we're about to gain uh, through through the Mass and what's about to happen if we really understand what it is. And I really encourage everybody delve deep intellectually into, into what the church teaches and spend about maybe 10 or 15 minutes or maybe 5 minutes, 5 to 15 minutes before Mass reflecting on what's about to happen. And then finally after Mass, when the deacon says in the Roman Rite, uh, go forth, the Mass is ended. And then we respond, thanks be to God. Spend time after in your thanksgiving. It's very important that we spend time after Mass in actually thanking God for what happened. He gave us a peak of heaven. And then we're now back to earth. And we, we are commissioned to go out and actually live our faith which is why we need, and as I'm doing here, is coming up with three tools for everybody every single week. And what I believe through my experience uh, being in the world, um, and we'll allow an opportunity for our callers during the Q&A session to give us tools or ask questions um, here at the Voice of Charity Radio Network. So Aftermath is vital because as St. Thomas Aquinas said, the only way to really thank God for the Mass of what He's given us in that very, in that very magnificent and um, omnipotent way, God has given us access to His love, is through another Mass. So Saint Thomas Aquinas, um, the uh, Doctoris Angelicus of the Church, the doctor, of the, one of the greatest doctors of the Church, recommended that to thank God for a Mass 
go to another mass because really there's no way by our own merits as human beings we can thank God for the holy sacrifice of the mass. And I think uh, it's very clear that, you know, spending time before mass, five to 15 minutes, and time after in that Thanksgiving, very important Thanksgiving, gives you the, it's sort of like a spiritual stretch. You stretch before and you stretch after in a workout. And you and that's what we need, especially in the spiritual life. I mean, why can we go to a gym and take very seriously stretching and pre-workout and post-workout and we, we don't do it spiritually? Of course, it applies in principle spiritually to our life. The second tool is pray parts of the Mass during your ordinary life, your daily life. I find that to be extremely helpful for me because what I try and do in my everyday life is, let's say I see the sun, I try to relate it back to the Mass. Um, when the priest says that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice will be offered to your name. So I try to pray that prayer relating to what I'm seeing in my daily life. I pray that. So And it sort of reunites me to the Mass. Um, what else I try and do is, um, let's say you're, you're, what, let's say I wash my hands. I like to remember the lavabo, sort of reflecting on the different, uh, the lavabo, which is, uh, let me explain this. The lavabo is the prayer that the priest prays as he washes his hands before he enters before he offers the body and blood of Jesus Christ at Mass. So that's another thing that I try and do in my personal life. Um, I like to remember that prayer. And um, as I wash my hands or I see the sun, um, I like to remember what the prayers were in the Mass and then relate it to the situation there and then. And I think it's a very strong thing to unite us spiritually back to the Mass um, in our ordinary life, because really at the end of the, at the end of the day, we want to take the mass into our daily life and actually live it. So praying parts of the mass is very, very helpful. And probably one of the most helpful things I found and the church gives us is the liturgy of the hours. So you have the, the liturgy, which is the mass, uh, the representation of Christ on Calvary. And then what flows from there is that what's called the Liturgy of the Hours, the Divine Office. So you have the morning prayer, um, a sort of midday, midday prayer, afternoon prayer, evening prayer, night prayer. Um, in different traditions of the church, they're prayed at different hours. But the basic essential is you can access online or you can access through your Catholic bookshop. Uh, what's called the Divine Office. The Divine Office is the Liturgy of the Hours. And it goes back to the Old Testament where God, uh, where the people of Israel were in exile. They were in exile from the temple, the sacrifices, which for us today relates back to us for the Mass. So during the times where we're not at Mass, what helps us really con to connect back spiritually in that formal sense, that liturgical sense, is the Liturgy of the Hours or the Divine Office. You can Google that and try get access. You can easily access it online. It's just a series of prayer, uh, psalms, scripture reading. There's a hymn obviously it begins with a series of psalms, a scripture reading. And these things obviously help us um, to unite back to what happened on Sunday or whenever your last uh, mass was, whenever you went to mass last. So 
try and get a hold of the divine office. I think it's very powerful because the idea of the divine office is that it helps you carry what we gain from the mass, the infinite value of the mass, and helps us really connect back spiritually to that. And I think uh, that's a lot of food for thought on the second tool. We'll go right to the third one. Speak to fallen away Catholics about coming back to Mass, giving it a go. As my dearly beloved family friend uh, said to me that they spiritually growing at home and uh, they didn't see the need to go to Mass, I invited them. I said, look, why don't you give Mass a try again? Uh, why don't you, and I recommended uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church back to paragraph 1300, um, 1,324 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and I recommended Cardinal Ratzinger, uh, Pope Meritus Benedict XVI's book, Spirit of the Liturgy. And they were actually very, uh, her and her family were actually very welcoming to the idea. I mean, they had never had somebody explain it to them there and then and invite them to come back to the church um, and attend Mass in that manner and really give them resources, food for thought, that they can actually really take something from the conversation and really do some research and ponder intellectually, as we discussed, on what the Mass really is. I mean, how can you, um, how can you go to church and, uh, and uh, want to go to church, let's say, if we don't know what the Mass actually is? I mean, that's at least myself. So helping them out by recommending certain books and really explaining to them that the Mass, look, we don't really go to church to just pray or to just, um, though you can pray. We don't really go to church. We, we're required on Sundays to keep the Sabbath day holy by attending the Mass because of what I just explained. It was the representation of Christ on Calvary and something we can't really do at home. Now, it may take some time for people to really come to grip intellectually what the Mass is, what the Church teaches, but I think, hopefully, I planted a seed for that family friend of mine. All the people have, uh, have spoken to me about the Mass and what it really, uh, and that the fact that they don't go to Mass or they don't go to church on Sunday and they try um, and they try pray by themselves. Um, I hope, I hope we can take these three tools, and it can help us personally to uh, become one with the liturgy and grow spiritually. Because we really can't, in the third tool, change people if we don't change ourselves. We really can't. I mean, if the Mass and the graces from the liturgy aren't changing me as a person and helping me to grow spiritually and live it in my personal life, as I said in the second tool, um, by praying parts of the Mass, where that Mass takes flesh into your life and you unite your, all your spiritual life, as the Church says, it's a source and summit, you unite all your spiritual life to the Mass. We can't change, uh, help other people to really grow and understand that, hey, I don't go to church on Sunday just to pray or um, just hear, hear a priest give a homily. I mean, essentially, the homily, you don't even need to give a homily at Mass. It's recommended. But we really, and, and we're not just going to do some scripture reading here and there. It's actually something which was uh, uh, in 
foundationally, it was established in the Old Testament. God set a certain way that he wanted to be worshipped. He set a certain way that he wanted to be worshipped. And he gave us his church in the 12 apostles, which is guided by the Holy Spirit, that gives us physical rituals. And the church has the authority to make, uh, to through the essentials of what Christ established at the Last Supper, gradually grow these rituals into um, what we now know as a liturgy, as a formal prayer. We go to Mass, we have a reading. There's a reading of the day, a specific reading. And then we have the usual rituals, and then we eventually get to the Eucharist. So if you really break it up, if we really understand and we really dissect the rituals of the Mass, they, they are all conveying a grace from God through the physical means that we have, rituals. And so that's what we really go to Mass for. And we really need to delve deep and understand what the Mass is for ourselves, live it in our lives, and then progressively the fruit that we will bear would be to help our fellow Catholics who don't go to Mass on Sunday or don't want to go to Mass or go twice a year and don't attend every Sunday. We can help them come back in charity and in love. We can slowly reach out our hand and explain to them what the Mass is, why we go to Mass, and they can really... What you'll find is a lot of people actually appreciate the advice, appreciate the, the, um, uh, the instruction that I try to give them and the knowledge that I share with them. And they really... And they, and they really... Um, you see that it, it bears some fruit there. At least you've planted a seed. So now it's time for our second break before the Q&A session. The number to call is 9625-6111. That is 9625-6111. Stay tuned on the Voice of Charity Radio Network. See you after the break. Sin would look on me with love and 
Welcome back to the Catholic Toolbox. I'm your host and founder, George Manassa, and we're discussing living your liturgy in your daily life as we're about to take some questions or answers. Remember, the Catholic Toolbox is not simply about me trying to answer questions. It is also about, I've given three tools here, and we need either tools or questions that we can take and work together to actually find solutions to actually live our faith in our daily life. Now, our first question comes from Stefan. Stefan has asked, what, what is the scriptural proof behind the authority of Peter? That's a very good question because the way we can understand the Mass is through the authority of Peter because it's through Peter and the apostles that the priesthood was actually established. Now, if we actually look at the number 12, why did Jesus choose 12 apostles? He chose 12 because there were 12 tribes of Israel. If we actually think about it, how many dioceses do we have today? We have many around the world. So, in a sense, a diocese is like a tribe of Israel. Now, the scriptural proof really rests on Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, uh, 19 through 20. Uh, You are Peter, and I quote, And upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'll give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, keys, binding and loosing, what's all that analogy about? If we really go back to Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, as we said, the Old Testament is our foundation for understanding the New Testament and understanding the, uh, how Christ really fulfilled the old law. Now, in Isaiah 22, uh, chapter 22, you have um, Eliakim, who was re- appointed as what was called equivalent to a prime minister in the absence of a king. And then, he, uh, and then in the reign of King Hezekiah, and King Hezekiah spoke 
to uh, Eliakim, and Eliakim uh, uh, heard this from King Hezekiah. I'll give uh, I'll give to you um, the authority, and whatever doors shall open, none shall shut; and whatever none shall open. So, if we really analyze the language of binding and loosing, that comes back to us from Isaiah 22, chapter 22. So that foundation of that that language there is a language of authority. So Jesus, by saying to Peter, you are pinned upon this rock, I'll build my church. And he gives him the keys of the kingdom of heaven to bind and loose on earth. That is the same kind of, that, that is the typological way in which um, Eliakim, the new prime minister, over a series of, let's say, ministers or leaders or elders, was able to preside over them. So it's not just simply symbolic of keys and just a general authority. This is very powerful language used in the Old Testament. If we really understand Peter's role, uh, we can look practically, again, the tools, in terms of the tools, the practical application of the Catholic faith. We go to Acts chapter 15. We can understand that it was Peter who rose up at that council. Nobody agreed amongst themselves. The elders and the apostles were there. They never agreed on what was being taught. And Peter stood up and says, We believe that we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they and they all fell silent. The whole assembly fell silent. It's not because they were they they all agreed. It's because of the supreme authority of Saint Peter. And where do we where do we where do we stop at the the scriptural evidence of Saint Peter? And uh, look, I encourage Stefan. Thank you for calling. It's a very it's a very rich topic to delve into. And Saint Peter's authority primarily comes from Matthew chapter sixteen, verse eighteen. And its foundation is in the Old Testament. We see Peter has that unique authority over the apostles. And if we read the historical early church, that's going a bit outside scripture. But we really do have to understand the historical context. The church believed this. The church really recognized Peter as a supreme head. And from the supreme head, we have the successors who are the popes and the bishops who the pope presides over. And then from there, you have the priesthood, which gives us the Eucharist. So thank you for calling, Stefan. I encourage everybody to call in on 96256111. That is 96256111. Now, another very powerful canon from the Council of Trent, as I discussed before. The Council in Canon 4 said, If anyone says that by the sacrifice of the Mass, a blasphemy is cast upon the most holy sacrifice of Christ, consummated on the cross, or that the former der um, derogates from the latter, let him be anathema. So Christ consummated the sacrifice on the cross. That really, that's powerful, because if we actually think about it, the, the sacrifice, in a sense, began and was being prepared at the Last Supper on Holy Thursday, where Christ gave his body gave his blood blood in the form of bread and wine. 
as we said in the Old Testament, the priest Melchizedek offered sacrifice using bread. And it's very powerful that it was consummated eventually at the cross. So that was finally fulfilled. That connection there is very powerful, I think. Uh, encourage everybody to call in on 9625-6111. We have a caller on air. Hi. Hi, welcome. Um, I'm just wondering, you mentioned before that with the homily, it's not a necessity in the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Now, I'm just wondering if you can um, enlighten us and tell us about other areas or um, other parts of the Mass that are not completely necessary as well. So things that we might miss during you know, weekday Masses. Thank you very much for calling in. That's an amazing question. And uh, in terms of the ritual, I'll start off by answering this in terms of the ritual. So if we really break up the mass, and I encourage everybody at this stage, maybe try try get a hold online of a missile of some sort or, or a mass guide where you can understand really, look at the different structures of the mass and understand the ritual of the mass. Ritual is something that's part of human nature. Ritual is something that's embedded in our uh, humanity. We have rituals for everything. Morning rituals, evening rituals. We have rituals in our governments. Um, ceremony is a very powerful thing. Now, you spoke about what's essential in the Mass in both the teaching of the Church and canon law is obviously the liturgy of the Word. That's something which can't be skipped out on. The readings at Mass. Um, and then we have... Uh, in the, at least in the Roman Rite, I'd just like to clarify. So we'll go off the Roman Rite because we can't analyze the 22 different rites of the Catholic Church. Again, the Church is absolutely broad and it's absolutely amazing. We have 22 different traditions. The Church isn't just the Roman Rite. It's East and West. The Eastern Church has about 21 rites and the Roman Rite is about one. So let's go off. Let's analyze it through the Roman Rite, which most people are familiar with. Then you have, if we go, so Liturgy of the Word in its reading is essential. Then we actually have um, the prayers of the faithful. That also is very, is optional in the liturgy. So it can be used or it can't be used at certain times, um, depending on the parish, depending on um, the occasion. Usually on Sundays it's used, but it's something which can, um, which is optional by its very nature. And then if you continue through the liturgy of the Eucharist, um, and we delve deep into what's actually flexible there. Um, it would be obviously which canon or which prayer the priest chooses to use. There are different options. There's the Roman canon, which is the first prayer. And then the second, um, there are a couple of different other what's called canons or prayers that the prayer priest will pray before um, the Eucharist, the words of remembrance. And very obviously, the sign of uh, peace. That's actually very optional. A lot of people thought it was um, essential. It has to be done. And I've been to so many masses and many parishes where the sign of peace is actually excluded. I mean, you wait, you wait to give peace to the people sitting next to you and then all you hear is Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Lamb of God. You're like, where'd, where'd the sign of peace go? So the sign of peace is also optional because... Um, if we actually, the history of that is very, is very, um, very clear when you look at the extraordinary form of the Roman Rite, the the Mass before the Second Vatican Council, which most of the saints uh, experienced uh, and lived their lives through. Um, so, 
And in the actual form, it's usually, it comes from the altar where the priest uh, gives peace to the deacon and the subdeacon. Then it comes down gradually to the choir, the servers. It's not given to the people. So that's where that history comes from in terms of um, having the sign of peace as an optional as uh, an optional uh, ritual in the Mass. And then finally, if we actually keep delving deep into the Mass after, um, there, are, there are different things depending on uh, the Australian Catholic Bishops' Conference or depending on uh, feasts. But essentially, those are probably the most obvious things that we can notice that are optional within the mass and are subject to change but for instance you won't go to mass and the priest won't say take this all of you and eat of it this is my body that is an essential formula of the mass that cannot be changed cannot and i'll argue and absolutely with certainty in every rite of the church whether you go to the byzantine uh, the syriac rites of the church uh, every different roman rite uh, not Roman rite, sorry, Latin rite tradition, just correct myself, we, we see the essentials are there, that liturgy of the Word and the liturgy of the Eucharist, and the Eucharist there. Um, those are the essentials. And in the Roman rite, the things I mentioned are optional. So thank you very much for that question. It's an absolutely, it's very intriguing that uh, everyone um, that I speak to regarding that aspect of the mass the options the rituals are very interested to see what's actually what can actually change in the mass especially in the roman rite and yeah it's absolutely amazing to reflect on so if we actually go back and understand i want to touch a little bit on preparing yourself before mass so before mass look there are some very good devotions that the church recommends for instance the rosary before Mass is a very strong and powerful way we can actually engage in, in, um, with Our Lady. And she will prepare us for the sacrifice of Christ as she historically was there physically and she prepared for His sacrifice physically. And in that, those historical moments 2,000 years ago, we are living that, reliving that history. Once we see the liturgy, the Mass, the representation of the sacrifice and Calvary as something where we're reliving literally and spiritually in that sense. We're reliving the historical moments of our Lord those 2,000 years ago in that social situation, that political situation. That's when we, we can become a bit more interactive spiritually. I, I find, at least in my experience, I need to relate the Mass that I go to on Sunday during the week through uh, reflect on Mass before and after. Then I try and pray it in the car. I try and reflect on what situation I'm going through. If it's a good day or it's a tough day today, I try and relate words of prayer found in the Mass to my spiritual life and see that I'm offering my personal sacrifice to God. As lay people, the priest alone... What we have to understand, the priest alone is ordained to offer the Mass. That's the unique calling of the priest, that he offers the Mass to, uh, on behalf of the people and for the people. And by doing that, we as lay people participate in that. And the way we should envision spiritually, the way we're 
is that we are offering our personal sacrifices in our daily life. So we're, we have the office of the priest, prophet, and king. So obviously Christ, by virtue of our baptism, gives us, gives us the offices of the priesthood, uh, sorry, the priest, the prophet, and king, that threefold offices in our daily life. So as priests, through our baptism, not in the literal sense, we can offer sacrifice by doing a good job at work. When your manager walks in and he wants a, a tough, a very tough and difficult task um, to be completed, we can see that as a sacrifice. And what I like to also envision spiritually is I, I like to look at my diary at work. I like to look at it and say, wow, if we really relate that to the Mass, that's my missile. The missile is the, the stand that the priest has to read from the book so he offers sacrifice. So I see that as my missile and uh, my laptop as um, my sacrifice and my desk is my altar. So we're called to take the Mass. And again, we can't see our personal sacrifice as somewhat equal in dignity to the Mass. It's never. The Mass is in its dignity alone cannot be matched. But we sort of emulate the Mass spiritually in our personal lives through seeing it that way in our daily circumstances and in our daily lives. So the church, in the, in the early church, they understood that the breaking of the bread was indeed um, the the commemoration of Christ, as in the Council of Trent. It is, as Christ says, and I quote, do this for a commemoration of me. Christ institu instituted the apostles as priests. And it's not something that's unfamiliar. I mean, for many of our separate brethren, it's not something that's unfamiliar. I mean, we have a whole foundation in the Old Testament of the priesthood, of sacrifice. And not only that, we look at other religions. It's something in human, there's something in human nature of offering sacrifice. There's something there as, hum, as humans, we feel like we need to offer something, sacrifice. So we look at even pagan religions of different religions, they, there's that sense of offering. So it's somewhat, we can say, it's somewhat in our human nature to be giving. Now, as Catholics, we can't lose sight of the Mass being separate from the Old Testament. A lot of the rituals derive from um, the sacrifices of the temple where animal sacrifices were offered, incense was offered to God. And God, I mean, if you read the book of Leviticus, it's, it amazes me. You read it, it's, mate, it's, it's, deeply, it's deeply detailed on what God wants. So God is sort of a little bit pedantic in the Old Testament. You'll make golden cherubim of this size, of this cut, of this gold, and he wants us to actually you um, worship him in a specific way because uh, he it's part of our human nature to obviously um, worship him in a set way. So that's where that foundation is found uh, in the in, in the Old Testament for the Mass today. And as I said, look, the rosary is very strong, very powerful in actually growing spiritually before the Mass. And uh, you have many people who pray the rosary after Mass. 
and it's it, it contains many graces. So, for those who wanted to call before we close, it's nine six two five six triple one. That is nine six two five six triple one. For those calling out of outside of Australia, rates may apply. So, these three tools we're discussing this week. Um, hopefully, we can go forth this week and actually live in our daily life. We can attend mass and see it in a different light and really help others to try and come back to Mass. And if we're able to try and come back to Mass, bring one person, one soul back to Mass, we would have have emulated what our Lord spoke about with the lost sheep. So, look, we have a lot of work to do because 8% of Catholics, it's something around the 8% mark, actually attend Mass. And by sharing the truth that I've discussed today, and some of the tools, uh, the three that I've given, hopefully we can go this week and actually live it in our daily life. And now, we are finally coming to the close. And that wraps up this week of the Catholic Toolbox. I hope these three tools help that we can go and live the Catholic faith in our daily life. God bless you all. I'm George Manasseh, your host and founder on the Voice of Charity Radio Network. God bless you all. In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth and live the faith and change our modern world today, live on The Voice of Charity.